everyone. Uh, welcome to Date Night at the Movies. Or how I spent my babysitter money, but you already knew that because this is in the middle of the episode. Yes, I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. And right now we have a super duper special guest with John Rod. Woo-hoo. How you doing, John? I'm great. Thanks, uh, Jordan. Thanks, Jessica. So happy to be here with you today. Well, we are we are stoked because you do a very specialized job in movies. You know, you typically are the score mixer. Uh, that or that's what I mostly know you from. Uh, but this is one where normally I've done audio mixing myself, and normally it's like, oh, you do a great job. Nobody notices. But this time, as we were watching the movie, all I could think of in certain places was how good the score sounded. You know. Thanks. Yeah, I'm I'm very lucky to be a specialist. Uh, I've been doing this for probably three decades, I'd say, um, uh, doing this for a very long time. And uh, I always, I sort of have a, an explanation for people of what I do, because it's not a usual thing. There's a small handful of people who do what I do. So I'm a music engineer, and I do do album work occasionally, and TV work, and, and video game work. But it's not just music for albums, it's also music to work with media. So as I mentioned, TV video games and also film and so uh for people who might not be familiar with what happens someone else writes the music i'm not a composer i leave that to the talented people (laughs) and and there's a whole team there's a composer there's an orchestrator that helps flesh out the music and uh, spread it out for the different instruments and there are copyists who physically copy the music and put it on the stands there are music editors there are pro tools operators uh there um all sorts of people who work, especially on a, a film such as Us. But I'm the guy who, uh, and I, I did this on Us, I picked the microphones, worked with the, the the whole team to get the best recording space, and, you know, because different rooms sound different differently to record in. Uh, and then I... Uh, laid out the chairs of how the musicians would sit. I picked the specific microphones and where they were all placed uh, because different microphones sound very different depending where they are and how the ensemble all works. Then I uh, sat behind the great big console at Sony Scoring Stage, which was awesome, a lot of history there, and recorded the score. And also we did a bit of recording in other places too. We can talk about that in a minute. And then I mixed the score. So basically, Michael Abel's the composer wrote the music, did a fantastic job. I worked with him on Get Out, a little film you might have heard of called Get Out. A little tiny film. Yeah, a little little tiny film. film. I didn't really do much in the box office. (laughs) People didn't love it. No, Um, no, no. I'm I'm kidding. (laughs) Didn't elevate horror movies or anything like that. (laughs) No, no, it wasn't wasn't lightning in a bottle. wasn't the movie of the year. I know, Uh, no big deal. (laughs) uh, You know, critically critically and commercially, which doesn't always happen that way. Um, So I'd worked with uh, Michael Abels, the composer. He hired me for Get Out. We had a great time. And a wonderful experience working on that. So when he called and said, hey, John, what do you think about uh, a week of recording at Sony uh, here in Los Angeles and then mixing all the score? I just, of course, I'd, yeah, just, I'm there. Well, that's yeah. really and, cool uh, that you got to kind of, I mean, obviously, Michael Abels wrote the score before you got really involved. But like you kind of got to be there from the genesis of everything. Like you said, it's not like somebody was just delivering you a Pro Tools session and being like, make this sound good. You actually got to engineer the session, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah. And and as you can imagine, every film or every project has a different budget and a different timetable. And the timetable and the budget determines everything. And it is certainly the Rolls-Royce uh option to record here in Los Angeles. The players yeah. are, are mm-hmm. 
unmatched. London's also great players, but um, London and LA players uh, play a little bit differently and sound a little bit different. But in my I mean, experience, to rec- it's like you go to London if you want less vibrato, right? <laughs> Well, it's it's there's just a slightly different attitude. I mean, I've I've done a bunch of recording in, in London at Abbey Road at the big room, and it's it's a great place to work. But to be able to record here in Los Angeles with the LA players who are very very fast and unbelievably musical and will tackle any challenge with a smile and a great attitude. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. But but to speak to your point, Jordan, um, you know, on uh, a lot of projects for a variety of reasons, which we won't go into, some of them budget. Recordings do happen in Eastern Europe and and Seattle mm-hmm. and various places, and sometimes I'll go there for that. Sometimes there isn't time or money to get me there. Right. Uh, usually it's time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's great when I get to pick the mics and the preamps that I want and place them as I like and hear everything go down and be a part of you know, um, you know small editing decisions and, and let's do it this way and let's record it this way and uh, to have the options that I want to be able to really get the sound that I like. So, mm-hmm. But I, I'm, I guess the point is, is that I'm very, very happy with how us sounds in the movie theaters. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, Ron Bartlett, the re-recording engineer, um, who I passed the music off to by way of uh, Brett Snacky Pierce, who's a wonderful music editor, who's the music editor on Get Out as well. Uh, everything actually from me goes to then Brett Snacky Pierce, his nickname Snacky. <laughs> he, uh, he, he gets it into the film, the final film, and does any... Um, he, he gets it into the film basically and, and does his thing and gets it ready for the dub stage and the dub stage they do the music dialogue and sound effects and right. they do the final sound of the film I myself I reference the dialogue and sound effects but I do not mix mm-hmm. uh, dialogue and sound effects it's just not my passion so I'm just a music guy yeah. right well and you know I work as a uh, as a composer on mostly like shorts and independence as well and I, like you were talking about time and budget I usually have to mix my own stuff which drives me up the wall because I'm just too close to it you know uh, yeah. but it's the same type of thing is that if I have my way I choose not to uh, I choose not to mix the dialogue or the sound effects you know if I can work as the sound designer and the composer and just pass it off to somebody else I'm happy uh, but unfortunately, that doesn't really work out in the budgets that I'm usually working on. Um, right. So it must be it must be nice to be able to kind of draw those lines as like, oh, well, I get the opportunity to do this. So I'm just going to do this and let somebody else do the other part of the job. Um, so I have a question. Yeah. So one of the things that we really talked about in us very specifically is this. Um, I described the sound overall sound of the movie as persistent like the sound design is so persistent, but yet the music was extremely clear and the story of the music was extremely clear. There was a, it was a noisy movie. Did you feel that way? How did you maybe combat that? Or it just felt really balanced while being really noisy, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, no, it, it absolutely does, Jessica. So uh, I'm going to sing praises of Michael Abel's a bunch, but... Um, you know, uh, very deservedly so. Uh, you may know that uh, Michael has done a lot of classical music for many, many years mm-hmm. and, and commissions for all sorts of symphonies all over the world and, and a very prolific and, you know, renowned classical composer. But this is his second film. Right. And it, it's funny. Michael's such a gentleman. He would always say that Jordan Peele's the nicest guy in the room and Jordan Peele's the, the, the smartest guy in the room. And I would say that Michael Abel's okay, then you're the second smartest and you're the second nicest person in the room. 
And and so where I'm going with this to, to your 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 point, Jessica, your your very good point is that Michael's a really smart guy and he's a really good composer and he he approaches things in a unique way. And I think unique is the word that's been thrown around a lot in, in relation to his awesome score for us. And where I'm going with this is that the, uh, the, the discussions, and it's great having discussions with a composer very, very early on, was that Jordan liked an intimate sound for the score. Yeah. And so what could we do to, to, to capture Michael's awesome score? Uh, and from an engineering standpoint, what could I do to help it sound intimate? Now, we were recording at the Sony scoring stage, which is something like uh, probably like 65 or 70 feet by about 90 feet. It's, it's yeah. a very big room and a very high ceiling. Yeah, it's um, awesome. <laughs> yeah, and, and the history of that room goes way back to, to I mean, uh, E.T. and Schindler's List and, and even uh, just way back to the 50s and so forth. Uh, tons of, of movies, ha the scores have been recorded there. So... Uh, what I did was I set out the microphones, um, knowing that I was going to be mixing the score in seven one. And if anyone doesn't know what seven okay. one is, it means there's three, three speakers in the front, left, center, right. Then there are two side surround speakers and then there are two rear surround speakers. And right. then there's a subwoofer. So that's the point one. So it's three in the front, two in the side, two in the back, and then the subwoofer. Um, and the film was, uh, I was going to mix and record and deliver the score in 7.1. So I made really careful choices about microphone placement and preamps and heights and, and how I laid out the, the, the strings and the percussion and the, the choir and the kids' choir. They're all, all recorded separately, which is very normal these days. Mm -hmm. um, I made really careful choices about how I microphoned the ensemble in the room um, in 7.1, so then I could easily translate it to 7.1 when I was mixing it. Right. I also use spot mics and sectional mics for when you want a, a bit of presence, and you always want a bit of presence on the, the sections and things. But my point is, is that with almost no exception, and this is very, very unusual for a Hollywood film score, I used zero additional reverb. So oh. sound, the sound you're hearing is the sound of Sony. Well... I thought there was some lexicon going on in there, so my hat's off to you oh. on that for capturing that room. Yeah, there, there are a couple of places that I put on reverb, and this is all, always a discussion with Michael Abels, who's uh, you know producing the score, of course, as mm -hmm. well as composing it. There are a couple of places I put on a little bit of reverb for cinematic effect, and there are also one or two places I noticed in the dub where they put on a bit of reverb, which is completely fine. And it was for cinematic reasons and it works great. And I'm thrilled with how the, the dub and how the movie sounds. But so really what I did was I wanted to create a large yet intimate sound. And I'm very happy with how that, that all yeah. turned out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, because, you know, as a music engineer, we love reverb, you know, oh, yeah. we, we, it was, sometimes we'll sort of behind closed doors, we'll call it talent, <laughs> uh, you know, like more reverb on the singer, you know, more reverb on the choir, you know, reverb's a, a bright, wide, luscious, nice sounding thing. Mm -hmm. And it's really a part of modern music production. So to go in with the attitude of let's see if we can use zero reverb was a really fun challenge. Yeah. Well, it just was so, I, I found this, the score very crystal. Yeah, like the first place I noticed it, I think, is in the very beginning of the movie, which for our listeners, we're already kind of in spoiler territory, um, but where it's, yeah. it zooms back and you see the rabbits 
and the yeah. drums in there. I don't know if that was a frame drum or a taiko drum, but like I could hear the stick hitting the skin, but it still sounded huge. You know, it didn't sound like a big like a uh, like Lord of the Rings style tom ensemble. You yeah. Know? Right. Right. Yeah. No. It's it's funny. Um, uh, I, I think whenever I pass away on my tombstone, I think I just want to have uh, an LCD screen and that scene, rabbits in cages, <laughs> just playing on a loop, right? And somehow like seven one sound. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's kind of. Uh, you know, a bad idea for a cemetery. Maybe I'll have my own, like, on a hill somewhere. I think, well, like, your own little mausoleum. Clip. Yeah. <laughs> you know, just like a little mausoleum. You know, that it has lots of angles, high ceilings. I think, I think it'll be great. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, uh, a number of people, uh, I mean, it's a main title. And it's, if the music has to sound amazing, that is the time that the music has to sound amazing. And I'm the first guy to always say it's all about, the composition and it's mm -hmm. all about the orchestrators and it's all about the players their instruments the quality of the of the sound of the room it's it's really not about me i just don't make mistakes and i don't get in the way i do no harm you know what yeah. i mean <laughs> I, I i i'm just to be clear i don't put what i do on a high pedestal at all i'm here to serve the score to to serve you know to have the music sound as great as it can sound in the project to help tell the story to make the composer happy to make you know indirectly to make the director happy because i get my revision notes from the composer i'm really just about the movie and the experience and mm. i will say that rabbits in cages michael just wrote just jaw-droppingly cool music and, and brilliant orchestration with the, the creepy kids oh, i mean what i, I loved about that cue in general is like that's the one i think that ties into his score for get out the most apparent and then for the rest of it it was like okay well i'm not gonna sit here and try and match what i did on get out i'm just gonna write new music and it's not gonna sound the same as the previous one like this music overall definitely sounded like more of a classical horror score as opposed to get out just kind of sounded like something otherworldly for the most part yeah but this one yeah. it's like he wasn't afraid of stingers and he wasn't afraid of you know heavily tremoloed strings and he wasn't afraid of using like big impacts uh to hit certain moments and i loved that you know just like you know people are saying now you know jordan peele avoided his sophomore slump i would very much say michael abels did that as well because he wasn't trying to recapture magic he was trying to make new magic yeah Oh, I, I completely agree. Uh, I, I, a fun experience that I had was that um, I always do my very best, and I almost always am able to do this. Um, I make great efforts to see the movie before I'm working on it. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and so I, I made that happen with us, and I connected with um, Snacky, the music editor, uh, Brett Pierce, who's awesome, and that went to Universal and... Of course, I couldn't take a copy of the movie with me right, at that, right. that point. But but I, I sat down with him in, in his uh, in his studio at Universal, and we went through the whole film. And it was interesting because uh, I, I it was great because he could hit the pause button and I could say blah 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 and ask about this and ask about that. And I'm, a lot of Michael's um, rough mixes of music were in uh, a very okay. large amount of Michael's rough mixes were in at that point. There were a couple of temp music placeholders, which is completely normal. Right. Yeah. Um, because Michael hadn't written the music yet. Um, but I got to see the whole film, um, and, uh, just get a real sense of it and think about the world, uh, that it was. So it was, uh, it was, it was a great process. It was a very compressed schedule because as per usual, uh, the filmmaker is refining the edit yeah. and, and just, 
you know, trying things a few different ways and seeing how they play. And so we had a, a very compressed schedule, um, but it, it all worked out great. And I'm just thrilled with the end result. That's great. Yeah. Um, this is your second time working with Michael Abels and it sounds like a really kind of like harmonious team working event. Can, what's another composer that you've worked with, but it's still a positive experience, but like just a completely different one, like maybe that you just get sent the score, you mix it and you move on. Like if you had any other experiences kind of just completely opposite from what you had for with us. Yeah. Um, uh, in, in terms of in terms of the composer being um, around, yeah. or just I guess kind of like the communication, because it sounds like it sounds like the collaboration with Jordan Peele and Michael Abels, it just kind of sounds awesome, you know. And I don't feel like that. I, I guess is the yeah, norm. maybe like uh, like and of course that question sounds like it could be construed as well. Who are some composers you don't like working oh, with? Oh no, 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 no. What she meant I know. Uh, but more just like with as much as you work and as many projects in a year as you take on, I'm sure there's not always like a, hey, let's go hang out with the composer and see what's going on in the movie. You like, I'm sure there are times where it's just like, hey, here are the tracks, level these, you know? Yeah, it's, um, uh, let me, let me think about, uh, different, different working pro uh, processes. Um, what, wh uh, two different ways of working. Uh, it's funny. People ask, you know, John, when you're mixing, how often is the composer with you? Are they are they with oh. you the whole time, or half the time, or none of the time? And uh, again, time really determines everything. Uh, I've done quite a few projects with uh, legendary composer Cliff Martinez. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, we worked on the Lincoln Lawyer. Uh, we worked on a, a number of other films, Ala Origine, which is a great film as well. Um, and uh, Severe Clear, which is another good film mm -hmm. we worked on together. And when time allows, uh, Cliff Martinez would very much, much like to sit with me, and uh, which is completely fine. And polish stuff. Uh, you know, he'd be on the sofa uh, uh, sipping an espresso, and you know, we'd try different things. And Cliff's music is more minimalist mm -hmm. yeah. and so it's faster to mix in a small way because there are only two or three musical things going on at once which is definitely cliff's style and definitely works yeah. for cliff um most composers aren't minimalists no. uh, film stuff these days. <laughs> and uh and also to that i think as a quick aside the composer wants to give the director a few chances on the dub stage you know hey let's keep that piano solo thing let's maybe lose the piano solo thing and i just want to stress that it's not about the music liking the piano solo thing or not but it's really about how to best tell the story mm -hmm. in that moment Absolutely. and so something that michael abels really understands and it's so great to to be around as such a wise person is that he wants to give jordan a few things uh that he could take out or keep or feature just because he knows that filmmaking about any one given moment, if it's a scare or a laugh, what's the best way to tell that? With silence, with no music, with the score, with a uh, simplified score, with, you know, everything in. Um, so to that, I'm delivering a fairly complex set of stem mixes to the dub stage um, in 7-1 or 5-1, and they all add up to be a 7-1 full mix. And, you know, Michael and I put our best foot forward and we put our intent forward and we provide a full mix, which is just the music and a full mix. But we also provide these stem mixes. So on the dub stage, 
Jordan Peele can say, hey, you know, I want to uh, turn up the kids choir here because it's extra creepy or, yeah. I, you know, I want to turn this down. So uh, I guess I got off the track a bit there. But what I was going to say with, <laughs> with, Cliff Mart- with, with Cliff Martinez is that when we have the time, when we're working together uh, on a project, uh, Cliff prefers to be with me. Um, but when it came to the Lincoln lawyer, there was a very, very, very tight schedule on that. And Cliff called me and said, you know, John, I really want you to mix the score for this film, The Lincoln Lawyer, but because of the crazy short runway we have to do this, you're going to need to do it on your own. I'm not going to be with you. And right. so, uh, it, and there were certainly elements of that in the schedule for us. And so how I deal with that, which works really, really well, is what I do is I start by having an understanding of what the comp- composer likes what the composer what their aesthetic is Mm -hmm. we have discussions about the sound of the score and how they want it to sound and then i always uh, when i start mixing a cue i watch the scene with dialogue um and i have this weird ability to memorize the dialogue in one pass so i just i watch i watch the generally with the i listen to the composer's rough mix which is very important um and then I will watch the scene with the dialogue and the composer's rough mix and go, okay, that's what's happening. And yes, there'll be explosions there and helicopters there, or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And I just put it in my head and then I turn off the dialogue and the sound effects and I mix the music to what I think is going to work with the film to tell the story and also to have the composer be happy. And then I'll get it pretty polished and I'm very efficient and quick at this point in my career. And then I'll send it off to the composer and I have a Google Doc. I'll create a Google Doc, and each cue has a line. And then that way, the composer, at their convenience, because they're busy writing the rest of the score, right. the composer can listen to it, um, and they'll put in the Google Doc. You know, uh, I, I'm thinking more of a piano solo for this cue. You know, maybe featured a bit more. Just a few general comments or whatever, or even specific things. You know, that drum at bar 72 make it crazy big. Yeah. Um, and then. And then we work back and forth. So I'm plowing ahead and never waiting for them. And they're plowing ahead with what they need to do and listening to the score and, and uh, putting notes. And we'll also stop and have a phone call too. You know, right. sometimes it's easier to discuss something. So really um, when, when people ask, so John, how much do people come to the, the score mix? I say, well, anything between 0% and 100%. <laughs> and it's just, it's just how it is. You know, yeah. my, it's, it's efficiency and schedules. Yeah, no, absolutely. I don't think, I can't think of any, for for especially our viewership, we have a lot of people who don't necessarily work in film. Um, and it's never, I never feel in any project I've ever done that you have the luxury of time. Even when it seems like, oh, I have got time. You, you don't, like you don't have enough time ever. Um, which is why it's such a fascinating medium for that reason, I feel. Yeah, I, I was I was gonna mention uh, another composer that I work with uh, a lot, who's an awesome composer named Penka Kunova, and I've done a lot of stuff with Penka over the years. And um, one project that that comes to mind that I did with Penka, she did an amazing score for a NASA pavilion at the Kennedy Space Center. Oh, that's cool. It's super cool. And, uh, and, and, uh, she really just did such amazing work in really honing in on the iconic sound of, of space and exploration and the, the legends and heroes, which is what it's called Mm -hmm. or heroes and legends. And, um, 
the nice thing is, is that Penka is a monster talent and the nicest person you'll ever meet. But also she's really organized and really very much considers milestones and really, you know, up front of this great project. It was so much fun to say I'm working for NASA. You know? <laughs> um, uh, but it was great. And, and uh, the, the score was certainly complex with um, – big orchestra, big live orchestra and lots of loops and percussion and guitars and synths and, and musical sound effects and all sorts of stuff. But thinking back to that project, which was about a year or so ago, she had discussions with me about, you know, uh, when I need stuff to, to give me enough time to really sculpt and carve the music to have the, the modern drama and, uh, all that stuff. And so I, I find that if, if I can, sometimes, if the project allows it, and generally I make this work, it's really good for me as a creative person who's sculpting music uh, to work on a mix and then think, you know, okay, that sounds pretty good, but I'm going to put it aside for now and come back to it in a few hours or maybe even tomorrow or the next day and come at it with fresh ears. And yeah. I find that's really helpful for my creative process. Um, I don't know. I don't know if you do the same thing, Jordan, but um, it's Very, really great to come yeah. back to something Very and go, oh, OK. So. Yeah. yeah. So and that's, you know, my whole studio is set up that I can recall all the gear, all the outboard gear in about five minutes. I've got a lot of analog um, hardware compressors for the 1960s mm -hmm. and, and weird spring reverbs and then state of the art digital stuff. But it's all recallable and I can do that in about five minutes. So I can hop between projects and get fresh years or you know do laps yeah and that can be really great because you know I mean, the human brain's a complicated thing no doubt well, yeah and you know ear fatigue is a major thing too you know uh obviously sometimes the deadline doesn't allow you to kind of rest your ears but if you can even just take an hour in between the time and be like okay i'm gonna go take the dog for a walk or i'm gonna go uh for me it's like okay i'm gonna go upstairs and play assassin's creed for an hour and then come back down and i'm gonna be fresh again you know uh it definitely does help your creative process. And especially when you're doing such a technical thing like it is that you're doing, uh, you know, your ears have to be 10 times better than the composers sometimes because you're going to catch all the things that they forgot to tell you about or they forgot to catch, which I'm speaking from experience on my part. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what I've found works really, really well for me is that uh, generally I, I uh, when I'm on a project, I don't have, <clears throat> a time to really take an hour break. Mm -hmm. But but what I do is I, uh, what I've figured out is that what I can do is let, let's, let's say I've been working, you know, 10 hours or 12 hours. And I think, well, I'm, I'm, I just know I'm getting a little tired and I can still mix and I can still make good decisions, but I'll be 15% slower just because the, you know, you've yeah. been working, been working 12 hours or whatever. So what I'll do is like, okay, well then I'm, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to um, shift gears and I'm going to uh, prep some stuff and, you know, import session data and just conforming things and stuff that's very easy to do and just needs to get done. Mm -hmm. I'll then stop the, the sculpting of music and I'll just do some organizational stuff um, and prepare things. So then the next morning, fresh as a daisy, I can sit down and hit the ground running right. and be, and be super productive and efficient, um, you know, for the next day. Yeah. No, and that that makes sense. And there, especially living in the digital world, there's so much of that that needs to get done. Uh, sometimes I'll be upstairs and I'm like, "Hey, I'm gonna go work in the studio." And Jessica will ask me, "Well, what are you writing today?" I was like, "Oh no, I'm just battery saving in contact today." You know. 
the other person I should uh, give a, a big shout out to as well is Larry Ma, who's a legendary Pro Tools uh, operator mm -hmm. and also a really experienced music engineer in his own right. And the second I got off the phone with Michael Abels when uh, way, months before we did us, um, this I, I hung up the phone and I immediately emailed Larry. He's always in session um, with Thomas Newman or various other mm -hmm. superstar composers. And I emailed Larry, you know, an urgent email. Hey, do you think you're available to record the score with us and uh, and prepare things for me to mix? And so, uh, and amazingly, he was available and uh, remained available, which was great. Um, and so what Larry Ma does is that he would get the picture from Snacky, the music editor, and he would get the pre-records, which are the virtual things that coming out of Michael's studio. Right. Um, and then he would put it all together, double check it to the, the, the scores. This is right before scoring. And then he runs Pro Tools during the scoring session, recording all the different passes and doing editing on the fly and comping into Playlist Zero on the fly. Um, and then he would also... Uh, and sometimes he's running two Pro Tools rigs at the same time, one for recording, one for playbacks. And then he would combine the, the, the sessions into one Pro Tools session and just check the edits and check the crossfades and stuff because he's making it with a machete, although he's got a very sharp machete. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and then hand it off to me. And Larry is, um, professionally, he's Tiger Woods. I've worked yeah. with Larry when I can for, gosh, a really long time, many, many, many years. And, and, uh, it's just uh, I did a Marvel project with Larry last year, and uh, he's just the greatest. He's very calm, very cool, very fast, and never makes a mistake. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, there are lots of guys. I should say there are there are a few guys in Los Angeles who do what what Larry does, and I'd love to work with those guys as well. But I've got a special relationship with Larry. So, you know, between Michael and, and myself, we really assembled an amazing team for the yeah. for the score, and this is just wonderful. So well, you can hear that, yeah. Like you really can hear that. I, I, yeah, it's very clear. It was a good team. Yeah, I, and I haven't normally. I'll about the week after we see the movie, I'll be just be in the car and I'll put on Spotify and listen to the score by itself. And I just haven't had a chance to do that with us yet. But mostly because I've just been marinating on the themes of the movie and being like, did I catch everything? Did this mean what I thought it meant? That type of thing. Uh, but I'm really looking forward to listening back to it again. Um, I know, like back in like you know golden age of Hollywood, like. Uh, you know, they always used to do different sessions for the music that would make it in the score and the music that would make it onto like the album release. You know, it's like the story Alfred Newman went to conduct the album version of Airport and then went home and passed away that night, you know? Uh, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've, I'm, if you haven't listened to much of the episodes before, I'm an insane wealth of music and movie geek knowledge. <laughs> um, but so whenever you're mixing it, are you mixing two different versions uh, or are you pretty much just doing the one and then uh, and then the condensed version makes it down to the album? Uh, um, so what I do, Jordan, is um, obviously because of the condensed schedule, which is normal for filmmaking these days, mm -hmm. um, I, I'm I'm very aware of the dub of the re-recording mix. So I have to have the music for that reel because the film is I guess six reels it's pretty normal um the dub has to have the music that they need for wherever they're at so I have to stay ahead of the dub of course mm -hmm. um but in terms of the album what I do is when I'm mixing in 7-1 obviously 
car stereos and laptops and, and earpods are not 7-1. Not, not, so, <laughs> not, not quite. Not quite. <clears throat> Generally speaking. So what I do is um, I do what's called a fold down. So I'm doing the score mix in 7-1, but I'm also folding it down to stereo. And I'm doing a, a stereo mix at the same time. Mm-hmm. And that's actually harder than you might think because what you put into the surrounds and how much of the surrounds you put forward into the left and right and what you put in the center and is it a hard center or is it a phantom center and divergence all these things relate to how it sounds in stereo and uh the stereo mix is super super important because the score will live in stereo in, in lots of places um so what i do is when i'm mixing in seven one I'm, i flip back and forth a lot uh quickly there's a button uh, you know in my right arm um and, and i i listen back and forth and I do feather things generally not only in the surrounds, but I do feather things, uh, reverbs, uh, uh, percussion things subtly. I do want to wrap the score around the, the listener if it's in five, one or seven, one, but I have to be really careful to make sure that the score sounds rocking and stereo as well. Mm -hmm. And then at the, and then Michael is, uh, has all the stereo fold downs, of course. And then at the end, once the score has been delivered, we'll do a couple little touch-ups. Occasionally, Michael and I will do something, we'll make a mix move on the score that will be for cinematic reasons. And then in the absence of the picture, Michael will say, okay, well, just for the score album, can you change this and maybe turn down this featured thing a little bit and yeah. mm-hmm. you know undo that thing that you did there because of the movie? Uh, but there's minimal amount of that. There's not much. I, I, I recall there are only a couple of things in both Get Out and in Us, very, you know, an hour or two of my time, uh, just a couple of things that were adjusted for the, for the score album. Right. That's cool. I don't think I've ever actually thought about that. Yeah, I, so I recently just set up my studio for 5.1, and I'm still kind of working out the kinks in it. And it's a very, you know, it works, but it's definitely not like, you know, I bought a 5.1 system. It was, how can I piece this together to make this gig work, you know? Right. Uh, and uh, on a score that I recently just finished, uh, I mixed it in stereo, but the whole movie itself was 5.1. And I was just finding that, you know, well, I don't have enough time to go back and remix the score in 5.1. So literally what I did is I just created a reverb send and sent it to the very back of the very back speakers. And I was like, okay, that at least fills out the sound, you know? Uh, But like I said earlier, if I didn't have to mix my own music, I would be so happy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so kind of veering away from the whole us and get out part of the conversation. I mean, we just kind of wanted to ask some other things. One thing we like to always ask our guests is like, what is a typical date night for you? Because ours is obviously mostly going to see movies, you know? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Fun question. Fun question. Um, uh, My lovely and talented wife, uh, like me, works long hours and and a a real superstar in her own career. And so uh, it can actually be hard. We, We do make the effort. We, book a babysitter or uh, have our daughter have a sleepover at a friend's house and whatever. So a, a typical date night with my wife would generally be probably a meal at a really good place. Um, there's a place in Culver City called Akasha that we like very much. It's great, mm-hmm. consistent food. And then we might go to an art gallery, uh, go to the LACMA. Yeah. Um, it's generally not a movie. <laughs> <laughs> Um, although I will say that we did have a date night with us. We did, uh, That's fun. Go, go see us and that was great. Yeah. But yeah, we, we tend to go to art galleries or, or, um, uh, 
Disney Symphony Hall sometimes, especially if it's near her birthday. She loves uh, Disney mm-hmm. Hall. Um, yeah, lots of different stuff. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we, especially when I get on a run, because uh, it's a stunt performer, it's either like you'll day play or you're on a run. Um, so we, we find ourselves, we also, I love going to dinner, like just being able to actually like sit across from someone and talk to them is always so nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, we've basically now had to start scheduling in a Monday meeting, which is just us going out to breakfast or lunch or something like that and be like, okay, let's just catch up on the week and not have it be going to see a movie because we never see each other anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I understand. Yeah. Um, how many projects do you typically work on at a time? Because, I mean, that's obviously got to be something, like you said, burning the candle at both ends and making it hard to you know, schedule family time and things like that. Uh, are you typically working on multiple projects at a time, or is it just like barrel down on one, finish that, barrel down on the other? Yeah, the, 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 the beauty is um, in, in owning my own studio, and no one else works in this room, it's just for me, mm-hmm. uh, is that back when I was working at Fox, at 20th Century Fox in the film scoring stage from 1997 to about 2004, I really saw the trajectory of Pro Tools and horsepower and mixing in the computer, uh, but still using outboard gear. And I really saw where it was going. And I thought, you know, if I had a really powerful Pro Tools rig that will exist in a couple of years, and I, if I could mix in 5.1 or 7.1 and still have... Uh, hardware inserts to all my gear if i only buy gear that i can recall 100 percent, which is actually very easy to do most gear i can recall 100 percent very quickly mm-hmm. then i can move between projects and that way if a composer or music album mastering or whatever has a revision at any time uh i can come to the studio recall the gear in five minutes excuse me do the changes and also it means i can hop between projects so on any given day of mine I mean, us is a specific thing, and I was just completely slammed for almost a month, and I was just doing nothing else, and I just cleared my schedule for us for very obvious reasons. It was yeah. a lot of work to do and a lot of music and, you know, a week of recording at Sony and, and some recording sessions at The Village here in L.A. and so forth. But what my studio allows me to do is that I can recall the gear, and so on any given day, I might be mastering dubstep for one client. I might be mixing, you know, a, a string... Uh, music for a cue and surround and then you know I can work on something else and it just takes a moment to recall the gear and open up the session and I actually I really enjoy that it, mm-hmm. I enjoy shifting gears musically from R&B to hard rock to orchestral score to stereo to surround uh, I actually really enjoy that uh, moving between things even within the same day for sure yeah that's cool. Yeah, well, that that definitely, it sounds like it definitely helps keep your creative mind going and helps you avoid ruts. You know, I mean, of course, everybody's going to get into a rut every so often, but with you being able to work on such a varied amount of work, uh, I can only imagine that it's it's just an ideal situation. Yeah, I'm, I'm very, very lucky to have have this studio and and have the career that I do and, and working in all genres of music for both recording and mixing and also album mastering. It's just a tremendous amount of fun. Mm-hmm. And, and I myself love a really, really wide uh, range of music. I think someone once asked me, John, what kind of music do you like? And I said, everything except bad country and Western and I don't like shrieky German opera. Oh, Other than that, fair. 
<laughs> Other than that, it's all good. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds totally fair. Well, as we kind of like get to the end of this interview, um, is there anything that you're like, ooh, I really like this made us special as far as working on it or something that you would like our audience members to know about your work on this movie? Like what, what are some things that we didn't ask you that you'd like to talk about? Uh, I would say, I think it's worth mentioning indeed how Jordan Peele is in fact the nicest guy in the room and the <laughs> smartest guy in the room. Um, when he was, he was at the recording sessions, he wasn't at, at every moment of the recording sessions because he's very busy with visual effects and dialogue replacement and, and everything else. He's a super busy guy in everything that he does. Uh, but he came to the sessions a good amount and often I see film directors are sort of aloof and a bit disinterested sometimes, occasionally, not always, sometimes they're very thrilled, but I have never seen a film director to be so genuinely enthusiastic and connected and engaged. And uh, this was the first time that Jordan had had a, a live orchestra that he'd witnessed recording oh, wow. um, on wow. a film. And uh, it was just tremendous. Jordan is just so professional and so kind and so nice. He's just really uh, incredible, incredible guy. And I could just see it in his eyes, his enthusiasm and his wonder and his sense of awe for what was happening and with the strings and the kids choir and everything, he was just so into it. And I, I had a couple of occasions had a chance to chat with him about the amazing history of the room and what we were doing and everything. And, and, uh, Mr. Peel said, you know, I just love the shorthand that you're all talking in because up at the con, he would sit near us, very near to us, but he just leaned forward and just not say anything and just listen. And it was uh, myself running the console and Michael Abel's producing, of course, and then uh, uh, one or two of the orchestrators. And and then also Pete Anthony, the great conductor, and also Larry Ma behind us, the great Pro Tools operator. And uh, Jordan would just listen. And at one point he said, uh, in, in an appropriate time, you know, on a musician break, Jordan said, it's just so great watching you because you're all speaking in this code I guess like how I am on the set when I'm directing, but yeah. you all have these laser laser ears. <laughs> you all have these <laughs> laser ears and you're just hearing everything. And he said, it's just awesome to watch the whole process happen. And I just loved his enthusiasm and, and his attitude and, and his love of the craft mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and his, his deep passions. And I know that's on the screen for all of his movies. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's one thing Jessica was even saying, too, is uh, in our last or whenever we saw it and recorded the episode, she said, I think we're seeing Jordan Peele who he is as an artist because he seems so deliberate about everything. And I don't think that's an accident or it was something along those lines. Well, I'm a big proponent of it, especially in this medium of filmmaking, um, that you really have to make deliberate choices. And Jordan Peele makes very clear and deliberate choices and it informs everything else that goes on with with his filmmaking and it just really this movie especially and I'm so glad that you were able to come talk to us because with the sound design and the score they were deliberate choices everything had such a specific choice that Every moment was earned. The story was super clear. The ending threw me for such a loop, but um, I just found like like this movie was um, technically incredible. 
Yeah. Um, and it, it just speaks a lot about, um, I, re- I remember uh, when I was getting my acting degree, we always said that directors were kind of like the moms and they have to put everybody in the playpen and tell you what game we're playing in order to stay in this playpen. And I feel like Jordan Peele does an exceptional job of that because it really comes through. Oh, I, I completely agree, Jessica. And and uh, I just wanted to point out, you know, with how good I think that Us is and how well it's been received and all the records it's, it's broken, it's really exciting to see. Um, I mean, you know, the first album of a band, the follow-up album is generally not as good. Yeah. And it's actually really hard. Uh, I, I know that um, Jordan Peele spent five years just on the treatment of Get Out. I mean, he had so much time and he put so much time into it to make Get Out how amazing as it was, I think that us is a little harder to unpack and digest because of its layers and its uh, discussion that's intentionally open for its ending. That's intentionally open for discussion. But, you know, I I think get out is a little bit more loved because it's just more straight ahead once you get into it, so to speak. Um, But what's so exciting to me is that I think we're really seeing the birth of such a great filmmaker along the lines say of Christopher Nolan people will go see uh, a Jordan Peele film now just because he made it yeah oh a hundred percent well what what I also liked what he did about us as well uh is that one thing I said about get out is that I really liked it and we've seen it multiple times but me as somebody who's such a huge horror movie fan I kind of called where it was going about halfway through you know this one, like Jessica was saying, threw me for such a loop, and it was just some, so much of a straightforward horror movie. Is that I think having that little bit, especially you know, Get Out being nominated for musical comedy at the Golden Globes, which was just ridiculous because that was not a comedy. Uh, but like, I think he had something to prove. But I think knowing that he was like, well, I don't want to make a movie that has to prove something. I'm going to prove something with my movie. And I think that's a very different uh, mindset than just trying to beat your previous record. And us worked, it works so well as a piece of social commentary, as a piece of almost a time capsule of like politically where we are right now. Yeah. Uh, And it also works so well as just a straight up horror movie because me as a horror movie enthusiast, you know, like I watch the ones that I don't even like that much. But this one, I was just like uncomfortable the whole time and I cannot wait to be that uncomfortable again watching it, you know? Yeah. 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 And, 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 uh, you know, the the business aspect of it, something that's quite fun is that in terms of a movie that's a live action movie that is not based on a previous existing franchise. It's mm-hmm. not based on a book. It's not based on anything that exists before. But on a live action movie <clears throat> for opening weekend, Avatar, which was a what two hundred and fifty million dollar or something, you something know, something like ridiculous. You know, yeah, a huge budget. Uh, you know, sci- sci-fi movie from a well-established director. Um, Avatar is number one, and now in history. Us is number two. That's Whoa. insane. And Avatar also, a lot of those tickets were sold for 3D, which are inherently more expensive anyway. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good, good point. Yeah. But, 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 but just let that sink in for a second. We're talking about a roughly $20 million film, a horror film. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And it's now the second top grossing opening weekend film for a live action uh, that, film. Not. Yeah. That's insane. And it's also so well-deserved, too. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it's, it's quite tremendous. Um, I mean, I know, like you were saying earlier, I'm on board with a Jordan Peele movie. Like Jordan Peele says that his next movie is going to be about an animated unicorn. It's like, cool. I'm going to go watch that movie. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I there, there's so many reasons to love Jordan Peele, but one of it, one of them is that, you know, it's, it's been clearly reported that he's been offered all sorts of franchise films and fights and tights films and stuff and he just turns them down and he just wants to make the films that he wants to make and bravo for that yeah yeah that's hard to say no to mm-hmm. like I, I i feel we all at some point have to sell out you know for some things because the light bill needs to get paid um but the, also i mean i'm sure he'll make choices that are aren't his favorite you know and has but it's nice it's really nice to hear that he's like, no, I need to tell my own stories yeah. for a minute. Yeah. And, and what, that's really hard to do. What I think he's proven too, because, you know, just by law of statistics, he's got a movie that's going to be coming out that people aren't going to like, you know, because nobody, nobody bats a perfect record. But I think that kind of like with, you know, and I really love the uh, comparison you made with Christopher Nolan, because kind of like Christopher Nolan, let's say, you know, Interstellar wasn't as well received as Inception or The Dark Knight or Dark Knight Rises is a prime example. You know, that wasn't as well received. But I right. think because he's proven to be like, well, I'm an artist and this is the art that I make. People are willing to forgive that. And I'm so glad that Jordan Peele has given people who are just going to be haters for the sake of being haters, he's given them less ammunition to use against him because he worked so hard on making these two movies as good as they are that whenever inevitably it comes out and it's like, oh yeah, that was just okay. It's not like we're going to be seeing a whole lot of think pieces like, is Jordan Peele's career over? Yeah. (laughs) That'd be sad. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, What is your favorite genre of movie to watch? For just for you, like if you have to put a movie in at home or you actually seek out, you know, to go to the movie theater, what genre do you like really look for? Uh, I really do love film and uh, everything from documentaries to good science fiction to cheesy science fiction. Yeah. To, uh, I had to mention that. Um, it's really about, about soul and passion. And I actually, I don't think I have... Uh, a, a favorite genre, mm. although really good science fiction is, is actually rare. Uh, I really liked Annihilation. I thought that was great. Oh yeah. Um, as one example, um, and it's interesting. I even liked it more on the second viewing, which and I rarely oh. watch films again. But I went back and watched it again. It well, was even more interesting, enjoyable. Interesting point. Annihilation is actually the reason we started the podcast because we left that movie and we had such differing opinions on it. And I think my sister heard us talk about it. She was like, you guys need to actually do something with this because I don't hear people talk about movies like this. So Mm -hmm. uh, Annihilation is actually on our docket for us to watch the second time and see if Jessica likes it anymore this time. (laughs) Nice, nice. I I liked it more on the second viewing. But... Um, but I can see how, I can see how it's, uh, up for discussion for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's yeah, a lot. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't actually really have, um, a, a, a favorite genre. I mean, just recently I watched a film, a documentary about people who had had really bad motorcycle accidents and been badly injured yeah. and then now are back on them and racing motorcycle. Yeah. So, I, you know, that's, there, there, there's so many great films out there, um, so uh, I don't really have a favorite. I can see that. I get. I get. I get. I can get on board with that. We've been watching a lot of documentaries lately too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've been doing the whole Netflix binge documentary thing because we were like, well, I just don't have the energy to start a new show, so let's just watch one of these tonight. Yeah. 
so I know we've taken up a lot of your time. We'll start wrapping it up here in a little bit. I know you are you're one of the busiest guys who I know. I think. Um, but are there, you've been so excited about your work on Get Out and Us for the last couple of years. And as soon as we decided we were going to do an episode on Us, I immediately wanted to reach out to you because of how excited you were about making sure that Get Out got there and anything that you could do to get people to get really stoked on this movie. Uh, what are some of the other film work that you're particularly proud of or that you may feel as excited about? Yeah, um, in terms of things that I, I've worked on recently uh, that I'm really excited about, um, I'm not actually going to mention the title because I'll let Michael Abels do the big announcement uh, okay. next month, actually. Nice. But, uh, but put your eyes on the Tribeca Film Festival. Uh, since us, Michael and I have worked on another film together, a oh, third wow. film together, uh, and it's premiering at Tribeca in New York in May. And it's a, a very, very good film and very happy to be a part of it and always great working with Michael. Um, something that you can see right now, in fact, I believe it's on Amazon Prime. And actually, if you dig through the uh, Red Bull Media website, um, you can actually find a link to watch it legitimately legally on Red Bull Media as well. It takes a bit of sifting. There's a terrific documentary I worked on. Uh, Matt Bowen was uh, one of the composers. Um, on the film and it's a terrific documentary called blood road okay, and it's okay. uh it's uh i won't give the whole story away I, I think if anyone watches the first five minutes of the film they'll immediately know if they're into it but it's about Rebecca roush who's an incredible ultra extreme uh long distance mountain biker and she through her father who is a vietnam helicopter pilot or an american helicopter pilot in the Vietnam War, okay. he was shot down and killed in Vietnam. And uh, she never knew, or no one ever knew really what happened to him other than he was shot down and killed somewhere. And uh, she went to Vietnam and mountain biked uh, a, a road, or it's not even a road, it's a path called Blood Road. And it's always been considered completely impossible to do because of caves and jungle and everything else and she went and did this extremely long uh mountain bike through vietnam and adjacent countries and visited the site of where he crashed because a number of years ago they found the crash site and identified him through dental remains oh wow um, and it's 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 a really great film it's a terrific terrific story it's a, it's the first sports documentary that red bull has made that has a plot and and uh, and really has a strong uh, personal message, and um, it's about all sorts of great stuff, and it's a very moving film, and I'd really recommend people check it out. I that's just love it. That's cool. That's really cool. We'll have to check that out. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah, so you know, I, I get to work on uh, uh, relatively big budget Hollywood films, and actually big budget Hollywood films as well. Um, but also medium-sized things and, and smaller things. And I, I love them all equally with a great passion of music and, yeah. and filmmaking and or video games or albums or whatever I'm doing. So yeah, I, I feel very, very lucky. That's awesome. And we're big. Uh, I love Red Bull. Um, they have been sponsoring the Taurus Foundation for 20 plus years, which is the foundation that supports stunt people when they get hurt. Oh, wow. Um, so Red Bull's they're kind of an, an, an like incredibly fascinating mm -hmm. group of people. Um, and that's cool. I didn't even, I didn't even know they made documentaries. So yeah. I, that's cool. I can't remember what it was called. I discovered it because I'm a big fan of uh, junkie XL. 
and he did the score for one. I can't remember what it was called, but I remember it was about uh, it was about surfers and like extreme surfers, uh, and that one was also really good. But I mean, obviously, I I'm just blanking on it and being an idiot about that right now. Um, but yeah, I Blood Road. I think we're definitely yeah. gonna have to go check that. We'll one go out. check that out. Yeah. Well, I guess with all that being said, um, anything else that you want to share? Um, thanks for having me. I, I love course. talking about about the the process and the creative process and, and fun stuff I get to do with. And you're, you're both delightful and great to talk with. So <laughs> it's uh, you know you obviously know what you're talking about, which is great. And it's really been a lot of fun. I'm glad we could get this time together. Yeah. yeah no, I appreciate so much you making the time. I know it's been really difficult to try and nail this down, but uh, I can't stress enough how much I appreciate you actually making it happen. Yeah, and it's. This isn't something that you can talk about really easily. Like people, people probably don't even have any clue that, that your job even exists. Um, yeah. So we're glad that we have a, a small platform to be like, this job does exist and this is why it's awesome. So yes. thank you, thank you, thank you. And I just want to point out to my listeners how good I've been because all I've wanted to do is geek talk gear with John this whole time. So <laughs> I'm not going to bore you with that. <laughs> You've behaved no. very well. If for in, ter- in terms of geek talk, uh, a year or two ago, I think it was, there's a, a great industry music recording, mixing, engineering um, industry magazine called Tape Op, mm-hmm. T-A-P-E-O-P. And I did an in-depth interview with Tape Op uh, a couple years ago. Uh, Larry Crane, the founder of Tape Op, great guy, came down and, and sat here uh, in my studio and we, we talked about the whole thing and, and we did a deep dive into process and talked about Pro Tools operators. It's a very specialist job and music editors and mm-hmm. Larry being a very smart guy but more of a record world didn't really know those positions existed. So if anyone wants more uh, geeky details about about what I do but also how I interface with a bunch of people in a very you know short period of time for compressed schedules, uh, definitely check out that tape op interview that I did. Oh yeah, we'll have to look that up. Uh, well, it's probably available online somewhere, so we'll make yeah. sure to share that on our socials. What is your website, John, in case somebody wants to look up and see more about what you do? Sure. It's uh, very simple. It's www.johnrod.com. So that's J-O-H-N-R-O-D-D, as in Donald Duck. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> yeah, we'll, and we'll, we'll put a link to that in the, uh, in the episode's description as well, because again, John's done so much awesome work that some of you may have not even recognized, but he has worked on your favorite film. I can almost guarantee you that. Yeah. Uh, and and I, I've been so lucky to be uh, uh, part of so many great teams and, and learned so much over the years from many, many great people, uh, engineers and, and the whole process. I'm just very fortunate uh, to be an overnight success, uh, you know, oh. three decades in the making. Yeah, just a 30 year overnight success, like all of us. I, I feel like a we're, we're both in our um, like ninth and 10th years of doing what we do. And people are like, you came as if from nowhere. And you're like, no, no. And I've got a really long way to go. So. No, you, di- you didn't see all those awful student films I had to work on. You know? <laughs> um, well, I think that's it for us today. Yeah, I think we will stop talking in circles in your I think right so. Um, so, John, thank you so much for spending the afternoon with us and giving our listeners kind of an absolute treat uh, to also talk about a really what I think is going to be in years to come, like that this is going to be on the next evolution of the AFI's Top 100. Like, I think this movie says a lot. So thank you so much for taking the time and hanging out with us. My pleasure. It's been great. All right. So with that being said, um, 
Shall we sign off? Do we need to officially sign off? or Let's officially sign off and I'll make the decision on how we present this episode cool. later. So with all that being said, I'm Jess. I'm Jordan. And we'll see you next time.